We're studying through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings here in our services, and uh, and I'm uh, we're to the third chapter. If there's any one chapter in the Bible that is familiar to almost every Christian, it's John chapter three. And sometimes it's a little hard to preach on real familiar passages, but then it's hard not to preach on familiar passages too, isn't it? So I want to read in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read down through uh, verse 10, and we'll try to finish the rest of it up next week, but just verse 1 through 10 today. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him and said, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. What a marvelous passage. It's about the new birth. It's introduced to us about a man coming to Jesus by night, a man named Nicodemus. I have people every once in a while who think that's really my name. They think that my name, Nick, you know, that I must have been named Nicodemus. And I said, no, I'm not Nicodemus. I'm just Nick. And, uh, but, uh, but this man was named Nicodemus. And he was a ruler of the Jews. That means he was a member of that 70-member Sanhedrin who were the, what we might call the Supreme Court or the Congress of, of Israel in that time. They were the, the really, really significant, important rulers of the Jewish people and of the Jewish faith. And so Nicodemus was a part of that group. And... Uh, He's an unusual character. The Bible introduces him as one who came to Jesus by night. Been a lot of speculation as to why he came by night. And to tell you the truth, we don't know why he came by night because the Bible doesn't tell us why. We assume maybe that he was afraid to come and meet with Jesus in the daytime because the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, were very much opposed to Jesus. They had already made it clear that they didn't like his teaching and they didn't like his emphasis. They didn't like his accusations against them. And so it may be that 
Nicodemus thought, well, I can't meet with him out in the open in the daytime because uh, it'll kind of bring my reputation into question. So he met with Jesus by night. Two or three different times in the book of John, Nicodemus is referred to as the one who met with Jesus by night. So that was a significant thing to them. He came at night and met with Jesus, and he asked this question, or he actually made this statement. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a man of God, a man who has come from God anyway, because nobody could do the things that you do unless he had the power of God with him. And Jesus did not take that as flattery. He didn't say, well, thank you so much. I appreciate you recognizing what an important person I am. He just didn't take any of that uh, to himself. He just said, you must be born again. You must be born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so this whole idea of the new birth comes into to play in this story. By the way, Nicodemus, I think, was a believer in Jesus. I think he became a believer in Jesus. I don't have any proof of that. The Bible doesn't indicate that, uh, it doesn't tell us about him becoming a disciple, but we do know that he was the only member of the Sanhedrin who stood up in any kind of defense of Jesus. When Jesus was on trial, Nicodemus said, uh, uh, it's not right for us to, Judge this man unfairly. It's not right for us to be doing it the way we're doing it. And then we also know that Nicodemus went and helped take Jesus down from the cross after he was crucified. So I believe that Nicodemus was a follower of Jesus. If you've watched the series on television called The Chosen, uh, you get a pretty good, I think, a pretty good characterization of Nicodemus who really wants to be a follower of Jesus, but his reputation and his, uh, uh, his social standing and all that kind of stuff would be called into question. And so he, he becomes more of a, a secret follower of Jesus. But I think later he did become an openly follower of Jesus. I think there are a lot of people today who may be in that situation like Nicodemus. Maybe where they work and situations where they are in life, they feel like that if they take a stand for Jesus, that it's going to create some problems with them and their fellow workers. I just want to say a, a word of appreciation for our grandson. We have many of you remember Makai, who was here a few months ago, and he was joining the Marines, and I know even one or two of you said, well, it's a scary thing. A young Christian boy go off to the Marines, and, and uh, he's going to be in a totally different cultural setting, and that's true. But we've talked to him several times in the last few days, and he said, man, this is a real mission field. <laughs> he said, everybody here needs Jesus. And he said, I'm just being able to witness just just one day he said i got to witness to three different marines today and uh i just think i'm so thankful it would be so easy to get into a situation like that and just keep your mouth shut and uh he said you know uh 
Well, I don't sound like I'm bragging too much, but I'll go ahead and brag a little bit. Uh, he said, you know, they know that I don't use profanity. I don't tell dirty jokes. And they, they just know there's something different about my language. And so that gives me opportunity. He said, that alone gives me opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. And I just want to challenge all you young people and us older people and all the in-between people. Live for Jesus in such a way that people will see that there's a difference in your life. And the Bible says that we're to live in such a way that it will cause others to ask us the reason for the hope that lies in us. And uh, so today, not just by what we don't do, but by what we do, we ought to be communicating that we have a vibrant, hopeful, living faith in Jesus. And as we do that, we'll have opportunity. And that's what it was with Jesus. Nicodemus said, we've watched your life. We see what you do. We hear what you say. We watch how you live, and we know that you are a man sent from God. But then Jesus turned it, and he just said, look, here's the important thing, Nicodemus. You must be born again. The evangelist George Whitfield, who was a evangelist in early America back in the early 1700s, mid-1700s, he preached over a thousand times on this passage, you must be born again. You must be born again. And a woman came up to him one time after about the 800th time he had preached that sermon, and she said, Minister, let me ask you a question. Why do you preach so much on you must be born again? And he said, well, the reason is simple. It's because you must be born again. <laughs> and so what is the new birth? What's the meaning of the new birth? In order to understand it, I guess there's a sense in which we have to go back all the way to the Garden of Eden. When God created man, placed him in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that he made his body out of the dust of the earth, and he gave to him a, a soul, a mind, emotions, and a will, but that wasn't really what made him fully alive because the Bible says God then breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, the spirit of life, and man became a living soul. And so here we had man with a body to live in. A soul is kind of the operating system. And then the spirit that actually became the life energizing part of him. And God said to Adam and Eve, Now there are trees in this garden. You can just eat freely of every tree in the garden except one. There is one tree, that is the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of good and evil, that, that, knowledge, that, that tree that says, I want to make my own determination, the tree of self-determination, and says, don't eat of that tree. Because in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. 
And the Bible tells us that the serpent came, deceived Eve. She gave to her husband, and they ate of that tree. And I like to ask the question, did they die? Did they die that day? Well, their body didn't die. It lived on for several years. Their soul, their mind, will, and emotions didn't die, but they did die. Because that which made them truly alive to God was the Spirit. And when, the, when they sinned against God, the Spirit of God left them and left them a, a shell, a body with a soul, but not alive toward God. And so because of that, the Bible says that because they sinned, sin came to every person who was born. It would be like all of their children and all of their grandchildren, all of their great-grandchildren, every human being born in the line of Adam would be born spiritually dead. They would have a mind. They could still think and reason. and In fact, they could even reason unreasonably. They have still had emotions. They could still feel. They could feel happiness and they could feel rage. They could feel all kinds of things. And they still had a will. They could make choices. But they could not make themselves alive to God. Any more than you go out here to the cemetery and tell all these dead people in the cemetery... Get up and come to dinner. None of them are going to come, are they? And if any of them do, you're not going to be there, are you? <laughs> I wouldn't want to be there if they come up out and start coming to my dinner. But uh, so, so man in Adam has a real problem. He's dead. In fact, that's the way the Bible describes the natural man. You who were once dead... In trespass and sin, God has made alive through the new birth. And so, when we are born of Adam's line, when we're born of the flesh, the Bible refers to it, he also refers to it as being born of water. And that first birth qualifies us for a need to be born again. The natural man can be amazing. The natural man can have amazing thoughts. He can, uh, he can, can invent amazing things. He can think lofty thoughts. He can write beautiful poetry, beautiful music, beautiful uh, words. He can do amazing things. But he cannot know God through his natural mind. The Bible says, can a man by searching find out God? And the answer is no. You just can't. You can't make yourself alive. And so that's the reason that a new birth, the new birth is a work of a divine work of God in which he breathes life again into a dead person, a dead spirit. 
It's illustrated real well in the story of Lazarus when Lazarus died, had been dead for four days, and Jesus came to the tomb, and he said, roll the stone away. And the sisters said, well, Lord, he's been dead for four days now. Already he would, the, there would be a terrible odor. The body is decaying, and Jesus said, roll the stone away, and they obeyed. They did their part. And Jesus then, in a loud voice, said, Lazarus, come forth. And everybody must have thought he'd lost his mind. And even Mary and Martha marveled until they looked over at the mouth of that cave and there emerged their brother wrapped in his burial clothes coming forth out of the mouth of that tomb. And then Jesus said, Now, loose him and let him go. Beautiful picture there. Lazarus could not have come forth at anybody else's voice. I mean, Mary and Martha could have sat out there for a, all day long and said, Brother, come out, come out. Nothing would have happened. But boy, when the voice of Almighty God in the mouth of Jesus Christ said, Lazarus, come forth, he came right out. And I want to tell you, up until I was 17 years old, I was dead, spiritually dead. Oh, I had a body. It wasn't amazing at all, but it was a body, the best one I had. And uh, I had a mind but my mind was darkened by sin. I could not think God's thoughts. I could think some pretty interesting thoughts, but I couldn't think God's thoughts. I couldn't understand God's... I'd read the Bible. I didn't many times, but I, if I did read it, I'd say, I don't understand it. I'd go to church, and I think... I honestly do not remember a sermon that I ever heard before I got saved. I heard a bunch, but they just didn't make any sense to me. Now, you young people, you're here listening to me preach today. Is this in, making any sense to you? Okay. I hope so. And I hope you remember sermons that I preach, you know. But I didn't. I didn't remember any. But after I got saved, after the Spirit of God made my spirit alive to God, man, every sermon I heard after that, I remembered. I remember Linda and Ann's dad was my pastor back uh, 60 years ago. And uh, Brother McKinney, I remember going to church after I got saved, and he preached a sermon called Death in the Pot. And it was about uh, Elisha and the poison soup. And he threw a, some meal in there and it neutralized the poison. And Brother McKinney said that meal is like Jesus. And when Jesus comes into our life, he takes away the poison. I thought, wow, that's so good. And I remember so many sermons he preached. 
and he was kind of my mentor when I was a teenage preacher boy. And I just appreciated him so, so very much. But I could have heard him preach a hundred sermons before I got saved, and my mind was closed. I couldn't understand it. My emotions were damaged before I was saved. I, f I felt so much anger and rage and confusion and stuff like that. But boy, the day Jesus saved me, suddenly there was just an inflow of love that was totally unexplainable. I remember going to school the next day after I got saved. I was saved in my bed at night, and I went to school the next day. And I began to tell people, you know, I really love you. And they just look at me like, really? And I even went to Miss Elta Doris, our English teacher, our old mean English teacher. And nobody liked. And I went to her, and I said, Miss Elta, I just want to tell you something. I really love you. And you know what she said to me? She said, Nikki Harris, did you get saved? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I don't know. Maybe I did. She said, well, you must have. And all of a sudden, my emotions came under new control. And my will, the things I wanted to do, radically changed. The things I used to want to do, I just didn't want to do those things anymore. I didn't want to talk the way I used to talk. I didn't want to do the things I used to do. Now, I had a hunger to do right things. I didn't know how to explain it either. You know, if somebody asked me, well, wh what happened to you? I'd say, well, I, I don't know. I just, I just know that I'm different. Then I begin to read the Bible, and I come to passages like John chapter 3, and I say, now I know what happened. I was born again. I was born again. And my spirit, God's spirit, came in and made me alive unto God. And that's what he says to Nicodemus. Now, there's the, that's the meaning of the new birth. Now, the mystery of the new birth, he said, it's kind of like the wind blowing. We, we know the wind's blowing. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't see where it goes. We just see its effects. And there's a lot of things that we can't explain about the new birth. It's, it's the, the Spirit of God just moves, and we don't know why. We don't know exactly how. We don't know why he works on some people, and it doesn't seem to work on other people. There have been people that I've just witnessed to and shared the gospel with and tried to help them understand, and they just look at me with a blank stare. It's like, well, yeah, thank you. And there are other people, Just the Lord just saves them. I remember going to a mobile home up in Dyersburg, Tennessee, uh, 50 years ago, something like that. And I went in because somebody had asked me to go talk to this guy. He was a rock and roll singer. Had a band and everything. And I went in. He asked me to come in. He was drinking. And sat down. And I 
asked if I could share the gospel with him. He said, well, what is the gospel? And I said, well, let me tell you. And I just told him that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, and that God loved us while we were still sinners, and Romans uh, 5.8, and, and, and then Romans uh, uh, 10, 9 and 10, that if we will call upon the Lord, we'll be saved. He said, that's, that's good. Totally unmoved. And I, I said, do you believe you're a sinner? He said, yep. I said, well, do you believe that the wages of sin is death? And he said, yep. I said, well, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for sinners? Yep. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yep. I said, well, would you like to ask Jesus to save you right now? He said, yep. I thought, well, this Gary Cooper here. And I said, okay, well, let's bow our heads. And I said, well, just pray and ask the Lord to say. I wasn't even going to help him. I, usually I'll say a prayer and let them repeat it after me. But I said, you, you go for it. And he said, Lord, save me. Amen. I said, you believe the Lord saved you? He said, yep. I said, well, what makes you think he saved you? He said, well, he said he would, didn't he? I said, yep. <laughs> and, you know, he left his music business, and went on, became an outstanding Christian. Actually, uh, uh, I heard later that he'd gone into the ministry. And I just thought, Lord, that's so strange. I mean, I, the wind was blowing, and I didn't even know it. The wind was blowing, the spirit was moving, and, and if you had asked me what happened there, I'd have probably said, I didn't really see anything happen. But God was moving. And sometimes you see somebody, they just cry and carry on everything. They get up, and they, they don't really walk after Jesus. So the spirit wasn't moving, just their emotions were stirred. But oh, when the wind's blowing, when the Spirit's moving, when life is coming in, it is a mystery. We can't make it happen. And personally, I don't think we can stop it from happening. I mean, we may, we may do a very, very poor job. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just afraid to go out and talk to people about Jesus. I'm afraid I'll mess it up. Friend, you just, tell, you just tell them that God loves them, Jesus died for them, if they trust him, they'll be saved, and then you let the wind blow. You don't make it happen anyway. And if God is after them, there's a poem called The Hound of Heaven. You ever read that poem? Brother John, you familiar with that poem, The Hound of Heaven? And the idea is that God's Holy Spirit, once he gets after somebody, He'll chase them down to the very, till he gets them. And I believe that. And I believe that he uses us to share the gospel, but he's the one that does the work. So that's the mystery. And then finally, there's the necessity. You really must be born again. You must be born again. A person can have a sophisticated mind. He can have a... a 
He can be a man of integrity, but in God's eyes, he sees nothing but death. Just death. When Don and I were little boys, we raised pigs. We had uh, pigs on our farm, and we had a, we call it the slop bucket. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I had a slop bucket sitting in the house, and everything that we couldn't eat went into that slop bucket. And when we washed our hands in the wash pan, we poured that in the slop bucket. And uh, potato peelings, eggshells, little pieces of pancake. I'm just remembering the things that floated. Uh, No telling what was closer to the bottom. And then I'd come in from school in the afternoon, and Daddy would say, Son, you need to go slop the pigs. And then I'd pour a can of powder of some kind and then stir it with a paddle. And then I'd carry that slop bucket down to the pig trough. I hated that because sometimes it would slosh on my pants. And I'd pour that slop in that pig trough, and, man, those pigs would go ape over it. I was just eating up all that slop. And I just remember after I became a Christian, I was reading the Bible about how that all our, even our righteousness in God's sight are like filthy rags. I got to thinking about that slop bucket. And I got to thinking, that's what, that's what our life looks like to God before we're saved. And if I had come in from school and I said, as I usually did every day, Mama, I'm hungry. And if she'd have said, well, son, just dig over there in that bucket and get anything you want. There's some stuff floating there on top, or you can reach down a little further. and I'd have thrown up. I'd have said, ooh, no, thank you. But you know what a lot of people do? They come to God with their slop bucket life, and they say, God, you're welcome to anything you want out of my life. You just help yourself. And you know what God does? He looks down into our life. And the Bible says that he holds his nose. And he says, shoo! That stinks. That's what our unsaved life looks like to a holy God. And smells like to a holy God. You say, oh, no, no, now, look, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good neighbor. I, I'm a good citizen. I'm decent. God says, no, that's pancakes and eggshells. It's just filth to me. You must be born again. You must be born again. The absolute necessity of it. And I would say to you today, you must be born again but the good news is you may be born again Jesus invites you come unto me come to me and the Bible says whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead And you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You'll be saved. Have you done that? Have you done that? 
You say, well, my life is not what it ought to be. Well, uh, it's probably not. Mine's not what it all, all I want it to be either. But I have a righteousness that is not mine. It's his righteousness. And he is working in me to clean up things in my mind, emotion, and will. But in my spirit, I have his life. New life, new life. And he's working to purify my mind, emotions, and will. And someday, will glorify, resurrect, and glorify my body as well. Well, have you been born again? If not, I invite you to ask the wind to blow. Spirit of God, blow into my heart. Bring me life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this passage, familiar passage. And yet the reason it's so familiar is because it's so vital. And I pray for every person here today, Lord, for those that have been born again, that we will celebrate and rejoice in your grace. It is truly amazing, amazing grace that has saved us. And for those who have not trusted in Jesus, I pray that that amazing grace will work in their heart right now to bring them to Jesus to cleanse all their sins and to give them new life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've not trusted in Jesus, come today. And you say, well, but I'm waiting until I get my life cleaned up. You'll never get it cleaned up enough. He wants to clean it up. You say, well, maybe I've done too much wrong. John Newton the man who wrote Amazing Grace was a horrible, wretched, wicked man. And when God saved him, during a storm out in the ocean, while he was sailing on a slave ship, and when God saved him, he got back home, and sometime later, he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If you haven't been saved, you come to him today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.